All right. Well, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. We're going to be looking over an Old Testament text tonight. I'm excited. I feel like we'll get some deliverance and be set free from some things. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, it says, While the Israelites were camped at the Acadia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relationships with the local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend the services to their gods. So the Israelites uh, feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this, Israel joined and worshipped Baal of Per. Uh, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against them. The Lord issued the following command to Moses, seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord uh, in broad daylight, so his fierce anger will turn away uh, from the people of Israel. So Moses ordered the judges, each of you must put to death the, the men under your authority who have joined you in worship of uh, Baal. Just as one of uh, just then one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into the tent right before the eyes of Moses and all the people as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then Phineas, son of Eleazar, the grandson of Aaron, the priest, saw this and he jumped up and left the assembly. He took a spear and he rushed in after the man, man into the tent. And Phineas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body and into the woman's stomach. So the plague against Israel uh, stopped, but not before 24,000 people died. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you how it liberates us and it sets us free. Be with us now in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, so tonight we're looking at this text, and as we look at this text, um, we're going to draw some new conclusions. We're going to look at it from a different perspective tonight, because it's important when you're looking at this where deliverance comes from. Where you're going to be delivered from, you have to understand where you've come from as well. You see, there's a, there's a plague that happens, and this plague that happens, it stops us from moving forward in what God is doing. It stops us from like going into the next place. Hi. Hi, good to good. love you. You okay? Okay. Um, it stops us from moving forward. And what will happen is, is we'll often be stuck in a spot and not do anything about it. Now some of you guys just noticed Tim walk in the room. Some of you noticed him, some of you didn't. You see, this very same thing happened in Numbers chapter 25. You see, they were at an assembly together, and they were in a meeting place, and a guy shows up late to the meeting place, and he walks into the place, but he has a prostitute with him. Now, everybody would have noticed that, and he wouldn't have made it past the door if Charity was there. Fair enough to say? Fair. But everyone felt like that little bit of tension, like, what is he doing? I saw, some, I saw Mitzi turn to Larry, and she's like, man, I swear I will knock this kid out if he comes over here. There's social distancing happening, and he's breaking all the rules. And 
what happened was, is all of Israel was gathered in this meeting place. And they were all at the tabernacle where God came into the place. And the son, a uh, son of one of the elders walks in with a prostitute. And everyone just sits. Everyone is infuriated. Everybody is there. They're like, what is going on? This can't be happening. And Moses is there and he's crying and his heart is broken because he sees these people living under sin when they could be living with glory. And for so long, we've done that in our lives. We have sat back and we've allowed sin to prevail and we don't address it. We leave it there. We leave it and we let it have its way and it gets all the way up to the presence of God and all the way up to the house of God and we never address it. We just let it walk in and we let it walk in and take its seat and we let it become friends with it. We do all of these things and we're asking God, God, when are you going to deliver us? God, when are you going to set us free? And he's saying, you're living in sin and you're asking for blessing. You see what happened is in verse 1 through 3, it gives us the story. It says, while the Israelites were camped there, some men uh, defiled themselves by having relationships with the Moabite women. See, this was a pagan practice. This was practiced all the time in pagan rituals. What would happen is, is they would have a relationship. Um, they would, have, uh, they would proselytize themselves with women, and it would be as an offering to the gods. And so they thought, like, oh, this is how we offer ourselves to the gods, and so this is our offering to the gods. And so what was happening is a lot of people were serving gods. And they thought, like, well, I can serve the God of Israel, and I can serve all of these gods at the same time. And they took this concept of, it doesn't matter. I'll serve all the gods at the same time, but our God is a jealous God. Our God sees us, and he wants us, and we want him until something happens. Until things happen, until things change, uh, we want him. The God that they were serving at this time was the God of fertility and the God of, like, agriculture. And so they, if the rain was coming, it meant, like, we're doing it right. If the rain wasn't coming, well, we better start doing it right. And they kept proselytizing themselves out, and the men would join with women, and that's how they would offer sacrifice to their gods. And the women said, well, just come with us, and we'll we'll be fine. And the men were like, okay. Okay. The problem is, is that the lie of the enemy is, is if, if you um, don't look like them, you can't win them over. If you don't act like them, you can't relate to them. And so they were acting so much like them, they were on, they, were, they couldn't stand on any pedestal to say there's a different way to live, there's a different way to move, there's a different way to function. And if you and I are going to be believers that are people of action and of stopping plagues and stopping disease in our life, we have to be different than the world. You see, the Moabite women came right up to the Israelite men and there was no difference. And so they, what God do you really serve if you're following any God that comes up to you? What God are you really can, are lo in love with if there's no difference? And the question I have tonight is, is, could we stop a plague over our country if we start letting go of sin? 
if we start stopping sin in our life? If we stop sin in our life, would not the nation be healed? Would not there be new life in the nation? If we could stop a plague over our nation by stopping sin, then why wouldn't we do it? And so the Moabite people, they come to him and they say, let's seduce them. Let's get them in line with what God is, or against what God is doing. I heard this uh, today and it says, Satan says to the church, if I weaken you from the insides, if I weaken you from the inside, the wrath of God, not his glory will rest upon you. If I weaken you from the inside, if I destroy you from the inside, if I destroy you with sin, the wrath of God will rest upon you and the glory will not. What does that mean? That means that, the first time that they tried to do this, the first time that they tried to, uh, Moabite tried to conquer the Israelites, what they were doing is they said, well, we'll get a prophet. He'll stand on the hill and he'll say, he'll uh, cast a curse over Israel and he couldn't do it. He was unable to. And so his next thing was, well, if I can't put sorcery over them, I'll seduce them. And so that's the same method that the enemy uses with us. He'll come to us like a lion. He'll say, oh, the lion. He'll come like a roaring lion. And we'll be like, oh, no. And then we'll know that he's coming and we'll just put up defense or we'll stand inside of a we'll stand in the inside of a house where we can't penetrate. But he knows that if he comes to you like a lion, you might receive him if he comes like a serpent. You might receive the lie of the enemy if he comes to you with a smile, if he comes to you with friendliness. If he comes to you with a form of godliness but denies the power, therefore. And so what the enemy's plan is, is not walking around like a roaring lion. It's befriending you. It's smiling. It's seducing. It's coming up next to you. Like we think of the devil with like that red outfit with the horns and the pitchfork. He doesn't come like that because you would know he's coming. He comes sly. He comes in with a little bit of a lie. He comes in with a little dishonesty. He comes in very slow and deliberately and intentional, and he waits. And he waits for you when you're at weakness. He waits for you when you're vulnerable. He waits for you when you can't go any further. And then he slides in, and he says, let me show you the Moabite women. He slides in, and he says, it doesn't really matter if, that, if you do this or that. God loves you, but it matters because you could be under the weight of glory instead of the weight of sin because you're carrying a weight that you were never designed to carry. And when you carry that weight, it changes your posture. And if it changes your posture, it changes where you look. And so the Moabite women kept coming up to the men and they were seducing him because how can we change them if we're not like them? Sometimes our churches look so much like the world that you can't tell the difference. Some of our churches look like nightclubs, right? I've never been in a nightclub, but I imagine uh, what it looks like in the movies, right? Like it looks so much like that. And we're like, oh, we got to be like the world. We got to be like the world. I didn't see that in scripture. I didn't see Jesus compromising. I didn't see Jesus saying like, I got to be so much like them so they'll receive me. What I saw was is pick up your cross and follow me. What I saw was, is there's a right way to live and there's a right way to go about. And if we go about the right way, there are people that want that as well because they recognize the blessing in your life and they recognize when God's hand is over you and they recognize when sin is over you as well. They recognize that. And so if they recognize that over us, the world will recognize that. When I see Jesus, I saw that he was with tax collectors and I saw that he was with sinners, but he was not 
seduced by them. That he went into a room and he changed the environment instead of them changing him. And when I see Jesus interact with people, they loved him. I know it says the world will hate you because of my name, but I see Jesus and I see that they loved him. They loved him. They sat at tables with him. They crowded around him. He fed 5,000 of them one time and 4,000 another time. There is something about being real and authentic that will draw people to you. And if we're going to be believers and we're going to be authentic, there's something about us that has to be real. And if we're not in the presence of God, becoming more authentic, people aren't going to be drawn to us. So as believers, we have the opportunity to sit back and say, God, whatever your will is, let it be stronger than mine. Lord, whatever you're going to do, let it be stronger than what what my plans are. Let it go forward and let it be a thing that is uh, more powerful than anything else. And so in verse 4, it says, The Lord issued the following commands to Moses. Seize all the ringleaders and execute them or hang them before uh, the Lord in broad daylight. His fierce anger will turn against them. There is no weapon that is formed against you that will prosper. There is no enemy. There is no evil plan. There is no adversity. There is no backbiting, betrayal, defaming. There is nothing that can stand against you. There is nothing that is formed that will prosper in your life. There are things that are being formed. There is adversity. For me to sit here and tell you there's no adversity, I would be lying. There is adversity, but it will not prosper. Some of you said that like you believed it. The other ones, we have an altar call at the end. Uh, (laughs) There are some of you that believe that there is nothing that will prosper. Why am I living in a defeated place? if nothing will prosper? Why am I living in a defeated place if nothing will prosper? If no weapon formed against me shall prosper, why am I living in a defeated place? Israel had the same question. You see, the the armies came up against Israel and they could not defeat them. But Israel defeated Israel. You defeat you. You are your worst enemy. It is not the devil in the pitchfork. It is you. It is the man or the woman in the mirror. It is you getting inside of your head. It is you walking away from God. It is you who does that. And so if we want to ask ourselves, why am I not living a victorious life? Ask yourself, is my character reflecting the character of God? And if my character is reflecting the character of God, the victory is on its way. The victory is on its way. It's in the next step. It's in the next moment. It's in the next breath. And if it's in the next step or if it's in the next moment or if it's in the next breath, all I got to do is trust in him. Well, why am I living in bondage? I don't know. We don't have to. We don't have to live in bondage anymore. There has been a savior that came for you and I that will deliver us and he will move us out of this place. And so Israel is struggling right now trying to figure out why am I living defeated? Because there's sin in the camp. Because there's sin in the camp. And as long as there is sin in the camp, as long as there is cancer in the body, you will live defeated. As long as there is sickness in the body, you will live defeated. I will live defeated. You online will live defeated. As long as we are living that way, we will live defeated. What does that mean? That means let the great physician come close. That means let the great physician come close. Because if you give a physician a scalpel, he can cut out the cancer. But if you give... Tim, a 
you, scalpel. You're going to need to see a physician. <laughs> there is a great physician that can come in to our lives, that can get close to us. The issue is, is as soon as he gets close, we're like, no, 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 no. I've been cut before. I've been hurt before. I'm not going back to the doctor. I'm not going back to the house of God. That sin is greater than my God, and I'll never go back. But if we get our lives right with what God is doing, and we get close to his heart, he slowly cuts out the cancer in our lives, because there can be no cancer in our bodies, and we will live victorious in everything that we do. Why am I living defeated? It's because there's cancer in the body. There's cancer in the body. There's sin in the camp. And God looks at them and he he says, Moses, get all the judges together and kill everybody. What? That's not a loving God. Let's get to the New Testament. Let's see what he says there. (laughs) That's not a loving God. I'm sorry. But I know plenty of people that have had to get cancer cut out of their body so they could live more years with their loved ones. I know plenty of people that have been given lots of opportunities to live longer lives because they had a a scalpel. The good physician came into their lives and he cut out sickness and he cut out disease and he cut out infirmities. And if we will get close to the heart of God and to the hand of God, he will do the same thing in our lives. Our issue is is with timidity within us that's stopping us from moving close to the great physician. And so Israel is at this place where they have cancer in the camp and God says there will be no cancer in the camp for it is better for you to lose an eye than to enter into eternity with, uh, and into hell with two bad eyes. And it is better for somebody to enter into eternity with no arm into heaven than to hell with two arms. I'm going to say something real quick. And... It is all roads lead to God. Not all roads lead to heaven. All roads do lead to God. You will stand before God one day. Every person that has ever taken a breath will stand before God one day. So all roads do lead to God. How you stand before him is up to you. Whether you believe anything, anything, any religion, anything, whatever you believe you're a God or not, you will stand before God one day. But not all roads will lead to heaven. And so because of that reality, we have to live different. Because of that reality, every person that you have ever seen in your life will stand before God one day. And they are looking to you and they're looking to me to be a light in darkness. They're looking to you to live holistically. They're looking to you to live victoriously because when you live victoriously, they can live victoriously. Why is there sin in the camp? Moses is there and they walk in. They walk slowly and they go and they walk past the assembly and Moses is there. And it says in verse six that they cried and they were weeping. They were disheartened. They were brokenhearted. They were... They were suffering, and they're downtrodden, and Phineas sees this, and he makes a, he says that it's not going to be weeping that's going to stop this. It's not going to be crying that's going to stop this. It's not going to be sorrow that's going to stop this. It's going to be action. It's going to be action that's going to stop this. It's going to be moving out from where you are that's going to stop this plague from coming over this land. 
It is not a different story than where we live today. I look at this virus and it is an assault against the believers. It is an assault against the body of Christ. It is an assault against us. And so because of that, we are going to need, we need now men and women of God who are gonna stand up and say, not today. That it goes no further, that we stop this now and it's done and it's over and it's final. And so Phineas grabs a spear and I love this because I was thinking like, I've seen, uh, I've seen visions of people holding spears in warfare and I've seen visions of people holding swords. And I'm like, there's gotta be something there because some people use spears in spiritual warfare and some people use swords in spiritual warfare. And I love this because Phineas grabs it and he runs into the tent and he stabs it through both of them and it's final. It's done. And the next verse says that, and the plague stopped. That spear represents the fatality of a virus. It represents the fatality of sin, that it will be in the ground and it will stay in the ground. And that will be the end of it. And we will not go back to it. We will not fight that battle again. We will not go back and do it over. We will not repeat this. We will not revolve and do this five years from now, 10 years from now. But we will stab this into the ground and we will walk out of this place. We will walk out of this moment completely different, completely transformed, and completely changed. Because this is where it stops. And so he grabs that spear and he lays it into the ground and he walks away. That's where victory happens. He walks away. I see tear-filled altars. I see them. I see people weeping before the Lord. I see people in sorrow before the Lord. And what happens is before noon on Sunday, we've gone back to our same patterns. Right? Like, I'm going to be delivered from anger. And I get cut off on East Bay. <laughs> I'm going to be delivered I'm going to have peace in my life. And I get cut off coming out of the church parking lot because Debbie Cannon's got that PT Cruiser and she didn't see me. Uh, I'm just saying, I, I have moments. Not calling anybody out, but. Get her a contract, right? Come on. Um, it is not through tears. It is through action. We have to be a people of action. We have to be a people of movement. And like we come up here and we do this and I love this. I don't forsake this. I remember being saved at, like, I remember being saved at an altar every, every kid's crusade on, during the summer. I got saved at every VBS. I, got, I get saved on Sundays as well. Um, I get saved. All, and like I sit there and I just think like I, I got to know. I got to know. Like I want to be sure. And I remember growing up as a kid and I don't say that that's not it. But my hope for you is that it sticks. My hope for you is that it sticks. My hope for you that it's planted. My hope for you is that it stays in that place and sin stays down. That it is under the blood and we will not go back to it. We will be done with it and we will walk away. We will wipe our feet and wipe our hands and walk out of this place. And I can't help but think that both of these men, the, both the man and the woman that walked in, they were both, um, they were sons of elders. And they walked around with entitlement. They walked around thinking God will wink at sin. 
They walked around thinking like, it's not a big deal. I am the son of, who is the son of? Who is, and we walk around and we think like we're all buddy-buddy with God. And we think that God's given, and I love what Pastor Ed said on Sunday, uh, we give them a license to sin. No, they're gonna sin, but they sin before they got the license. Love that. Because it's so true, but how many of us have done that? And be like, you know what, I'll just go to church on Sunday. I'll sin on Saturday and go to church on Sunday. I'll go to church hungover on Sunday. I'll go to church still buzzed. I'll go to church still high. I'll go to church still. And we think that like God is winking at that. He doesn't wink at sin. The reason he doesn't want you to have a relationship with sin is because it will destroy you. Not because he, not because he just doesn't want you to have fun. He knows that it will destroy you. No good parent says, hey, get out of the road. The cars are coming. No good parent does that. Why would our Heavenly Father do the same thing? Why would our Heavenly Father look at our scan and say, well, there's cancer here, there's cancer here, there's cancer here, but I'm going to leave it in you. He says, come close to me. Come close because I heal the brokenhearted and I bind up their wounds. He says, get close to me and I can heal, I can restore, I can bring back to life the things that you thought were dead are now brought back to life. The things that you buried years ago, God is looking at saying, I'm bringing that back to life in due season. And so he looks and you can see Phineas and he's sitting there and he walks away and he thinks like, all right, next. And all of Israel is like, wow, the plague stopped. <laughs> and a revival struck the land. We're living in a crucial moment. And this moment might only last for a short period of time. This moment that we're living in is a moment where we're all gathered together and we're all watching the TV and we're all paying really close attention to what's happening with this thing. Where can I go? Where can I go? Where can I shop? Where can I shop? What time does everything close? Because everything closes at 4.30 now. Um, and we're all sitting here watching and waiting. But there's revival in the air. There's revival coming over the horizon. There's revival that is sweeping the land, and it's happening so much. It's happening. We're hearing stories of people being saved in other parts of the world that have never heard the name of Jesus, but he showed up to them, and he told them a story about how he loved them, how he cared about them, and he spoke to them in their language. We're hearing stories about people getting saved out here who are being delivered and set free from disease and sickness. There is revival that is coming, and my question for you is, is Will you be a part? Will you be a part of what God is doing? Will you be a spectator or will you be a Phineas? Will you grab that spear tonight? Will you grab that sword tonight? And will you go to the battle lines and say, this plague is over. This moment is over. Where we are going is not, where, is not gonna look like where we came from. And so what's gonna happen is, is you're gonna see that there's gonna be people that are gonna be like, well, the church is open. It's a Sunday. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's try this. I don't know what else because we saw very shortly our entire life changed. Very shortly. But there is one thing that did not change. There is one thing that did not change. And it's the love of our Father. It did not change. It didn't, it, he didn't say like, hey, sorry, you guys are on your own. 
I've heard stories and stories of, I don't know where the money came from. I don't know where it came from. I found it. I found 50 bucks in my pocket. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. I had an old shoebox. There was money. I don't know where, I've seen God provide so much. And God does that because he's building in you what you need for the next season. And if revival is on the plains like it has been, if revival is on the horizon like it has been, grab your spear. Grab your spear. Say, God, will you just take this moment? God, will you take this from me that I will walk out of this place completely different, that I will walk out of this place completely changed and transformed? Will you take this from me tonight? Because revival is on the horizon and there are thousands and thousands of people depending on you. There are thousands of people depending on you. I think back to the numbers that they said is one person with coronavirus can affect 59,000 people. And I think like Jesus is, <laughs> if there's one person with Jesus, couldn't they affect 59,000 people? Couldn't they transform the lives that are around them by being the light of the world? Couldn't the God that's inside of you, who he says no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and you live and walk in victory from this day on, couldn't that affect the world that's around you? If a virus can affect you, can't the king of the universe, the God of the universe, can't he affect the entire world around us? His hope and his plan for it is you. God's plan for the future of the church, God's plan for the mission of the church is you. Will you grab your spear? Will you go to war? Will you say like, no more can this plague affect me? No more can this hurt me? And so it says in verse 10, our last couple of verses, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the grandson of Aaron, and the priest has turned my anger away by being zealous among them as I was. So he stopped destroying the Israelites. Now tell him, I am making a special covenant of peace. I am making a special covenant of peace with him. In this covenant, I will give him and his descendants permanent rights to the priesthood. Uh, for his zeal for me, his God, he purified the people, making them right. His special covenant was a peace. His special covenant was the Lord's presence. His special present that he got was the Lord's presence. It was all his. And so our prize tonight is the presence of God. Our prize, our gifting tonight is the presence of God. What we have from this day forward is they were walking around in sin. They were wearing it. They were carrying it. And our prize tonight is glory. Our prize tonight is to be like him. Our prize tonight is to look like him if we would get in his presence, if we would get in his presence. We're gonna play some worship music here tonight with you guys. We're gonna spend a moment in his presence because in his presence, we are made whole. In his presence, we are renewed. In his presence, we have strength. In his presence, there is, there is a peace that passes all understanding. It's in his presence. So tonight, if you came with cancer, Tonight, if you came with disease, tonight, if you came with virus, tonight, if you came with sickness, tonight, if you came with ailment or infirmity, there is a God that will take that from you.
If you're watching online and you're listening online or a podcast or however you're getting this, the God will take that from you as well. He loves you so much. He heals all of our disease. He rescues us out of darkness and he restores us back to life. He will do the same thing for us. Will you stand with me tonight?